2: First, he needed the supernatural touch of God. Then he needed people to help him, encourage him, pray for him, be with him. He in turn did that for the others. He'd been doing it vice versa, back forward, back forward. They go back into the dangerous area. They encourage the disciples. And their encouragement is the same thing we read in Hebrews chapter 12. Hey, don't despise the discipline of God. It's good for you.
0: Reading about or hearing the accounts of the apostles in the book of Acts almost seems like fairy tales. The miracles that happened and the trials and persecutions they endured makes you shake your head and wonder. When you hit some rough patches in your life, you might wish you could tap into some of that godly miracle stuff. Pastor Mark's teaching today will show you how you can access God's power in your life. God's made his agency available to you. You just have to be willing to obey. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Hebrews chapter 12 as he continues his message. God says, get moving.
1: So this
2: a wonderful volunteer ministry. Have this all kinds of people to visit the hospitals every day and all those kind of things. But you can't expect them necessarily to sit there for four hours with somebody. But if that person's in your home group and their husband's going through surgery or their wife and it's on your heart, God will say to you, go sit with them. So you have to have the courage to do whatever it takes to be there with them, to hold them up, to help them. They're lame, they're hurting right at that point. Now Look at verse 20. It's amazing. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up. What do you think of that? Just been stoned, maybe dead. He got up. That's a miracle you can trust. There's no hype. There's nobody around hyping it. There's no offering taken. That's a miracle you can trust. God did it. Well, when he got up, here's what Paul said. Paul says this, get out of this place. Let's get on the road and run. Is that what happened? He got up and went what? Back into the city. This is amazing to me. He courageously returned to Lystra. I mean, what is he doing? He's a role model. He says, you guys helped me. I was lame on the road. I was bruised. I was almost dead. But you came by. You encouraged me. No doubt you prayed for me. God healed me. He got up, and by doing that, he encouraged those that had encouraged him. Do you see the play? It's back and forth. And of course, what he was saying to those new believers was Hey, Satan had a plan. God took care of it. Relax. And look at verse 20. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. So Paul and Barnabas, a day after he's stoned, left for dead or dead, we don't know. He's what? When I read that, the next day they get on the road and they leave for Derby. That song came out to me on the road again. <laughs> Willie Nelson, on the road again, just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love making with my friends, I can't wait to get on the road again. Going places I've never been, seeing things I've never seen again. I can't wait to get on the road again. Now, think about this. Relax. I won't do it again. All right, think about this. When he's on the road again, what do you think the spirit of Paul and Barnabas is? Do you think it's like, oh, man. No, the joy of the Lord was their strength. They're on the road again. God allowed that. Now we know that during that time, probably Paul had that vision and all these things and went to heaven. We don't know all the deal that happened there. But amazing things God did. And yet Paul was on the road again. Barnabas, his buddies, right there with him. And they're going on. You see, that's what the race is about. It's not this short little race. It's a marathon. And there's going to be these kind of times. And so we're to help the lame up. Get ourselves straight first. Help the lame up, and back and forth it goes. Look at verse twenty-one. And they preached the good news in that city, and won a large number of disciples. When I did that, I just wow, wow. Keep the main thing, the main thing. You see, what did the Satan try to do? Stop the good news. Paul says, you're not going to stop me. You can't defeat God in me. You're not going to stop me. Let me ask you, has he stopped you? Are you so hurt with the issue in front of you that it's all about you and you've forgotten why God called you to do what he's asked you to do? You see, we have to get on the road again. We have to go forward, not in our strength, but in his. We're role models for people. It's not pull yourself up by the bootstraps. It's allow the Spirit of God to empower us to go forward. And when we go forward, it's never about us. It's about preaching the good news and seeing people saved. Well, it doesn't end there. Look at verse 21. And they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, in Antioch, they retraced their steps to the town they had visited earlier, and they'd fled from these initially because of the attack. And they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, back to the same place they bid before it was in danger. Why did they go back? Well, they knew there was something they had left believers there, and they left, and they knew something wasn't right. Look at verse twenty-two. And when they went back, what did they do? Strengthening the disciples encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. That's beautiful. You see, Paul needed people to help him up. First, he needed the supernatural touch of God. Then he needed people to help him, encourage him, pray for him, be with him. He in turn did that for the others. He'd been doing it vice versa, back forward, back forward. They go back into the dangerous area. They encourage the disciples. And their encouragement is the same thing we read in Hebrews chapter 12. Hey, don't despise the discipline of God. It's good for you. Later, Paul would write about his wounds as if they were like the wounds of Christ. He understood that God was doing something in him that needed to be done. It was maturing him. It was growing him. Later, Paul would say this to Timothy, and this is one of my favorite verses for me as a pastor. Being open, Paul would say this, you, however, know about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, Faith and patience and love and endurance, persecutions and suffering. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. That's a winner. That's somebody that knew he had a heavenly father who cared for him, even with a stoning, possibly to death. But God was there. Notice, when you look at that, you have to understand that we're not doing this thing alone. Verse 22, we must go through. It's not Paul must go through. It's you. It's me. Are you doing life alone? Are you actually doing life alone? You can't do life alone. You can't do it. Two things to remind you. We're back to who we are. Our core commitments here, our five C's. Everything starts with being committed to Christ. Christ is the center of everything we are. That's what Paul said. Paul says, I lose it all. I could care about anything except for serving Christ. The rest of it doesn't mean anything to me. That's why I have to go back to when I'm struggling, when I'm weak, when I'm down, and I'm discouraged, and I'm in difficulty... I have to understand, somebody before me went through it, Christ, and he went right to the end. He did it for me. He put his hands out. He paid the price. He paid it all. So how can I give up now? No way, I'm going to keep my eye on him. And then over here, connect. Are you connected in this group, in this church? Do you have friends? Do you have somebody, like I told you with my dad, that you? if something happened to you, you have someone you could call? And you knew they'd say, Come on over. I'll be there with you. By the way, we're going to stop right now and pray with you. Guys, we can't do it alone. We were made to have real relationships with one another. So the first thing that scripture and those two verses said to me is, one, myself, I have to get back in the race. I have to encourage myself to get back in the race, of course, with God. Number two, I have to encourage others to get back in the race. That's my goal. People have stopped and encouraged me. I have to turn around and encourage them. Now turn with me to Galatians chapter six. Sometimes we get sidelined on life. We get lamed in life because of a sin. It's not a bad decision. This wasn't the best decision. It was just something that I did and I didn't really have the right priority. But it is actually a sin. Well, look at Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, so that tells you something. I don't have time, but you can go back to 1 Corinthians 3 and you'll understand a lot of Christ's followers are not spiritual, they're carnal. But you who are spiritual should restore him gently. He falls. He gets off the path. The runner stops. Well, as you do that, there's an attitude. Not only is it one of restoration, which we'll talk about in a moment, but we have to be very careful. And it says this, But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, that word sin, if you want to write in your Bible, it's interesting. That word sin doesn't mean a deliberate sin, but it means to stumble or to fall. They just blew it. They didn't mean to do it. It wasn't deliberate. They stumbled. They fell. Now, the question that comes to our mind is, what do you do with that person? I need to have the eyes of Jesus. Not just looking to myself, but looking to others, as Philippians says. If I see someone who stumbled... Do I ignore the sin? If it's somebody I know, do I excuse the sin? Or do I deal with it kindly? Well, I can't ignore it because they're hurting. They're off the road. I have to go to them, but I have to be careful how I deal with them. I could treat them harshly and, you know, basically say with condemnation and criticism and judgmental kind of stuff. What's wrong with you? Why'd you do that? You know that's wrong. What in the world's wrong with you? Well, that isn't going to help much, is it? You ever have anybody, we've all had car accidents. And somebody looks at you and you drive your car. It's humiliating, isn't it? I remember when I stepped on the, the clutch instead of the brake. Front car went <laughs> smack. They took a picture of it. I had to have the picture. I look at that thing. Every time I looked at it, I said, you dummy. You've been there, haven't you? Now, it's okay for me to call myself a dummy. But if you come by and go, well, you dummy, why weren't you more careful? There may be another picture of another accident about to happen. No, but I'm too spiritual for that. I wouldn't do that. I'm like you. (laughs) So you can't be that way. What's wrong with you? Because that does harm. Because then I'm going to get ready to fall. Because I've fallen. You've fallen. So I have to watch my attitude. But the better attitude is to say to them, do you realize what you're doing? Let me help you. See, you need a relationship usually with people like that. And if they're teachable, they'll submit to God. Do you know there's always unteachable people in our churches? And typically, they try to cause problems. Typically, they'll eventually leave because they're not in control. And they're not teachable. They, They just absolutely aren't teachable. Well, that person I can't help. You can't help them. And eventually, they'll either walk away from God or burn out or die a bitter person. And I've seen it all my life. It's a shame. But most people will say, you mean you cared to talk to me? You cared enough to stop and talk to me about that? Maybe not the official reaction, because we're all a little sensitive. What do you mean you think you noticed in me? And, but if I'm going to be real, I'm to restore that person gently. So here's the goal. When I'm in my race running, I want to keep my eye on Jesus. I don't understand if discipline comes, it's going to kind of slow me down once in a while or whatever, but it's okay because I can go forward in God's strength. Okay. If I see other people that are hurting, I have a responsibility to try to encourage them. So the next thing you want to write, and this is good for all of us, every single person in this room should write this, Christ followers are to have the goal of restoring other people. We're not here to tear them down. You're not here to look, You make you look better than them. Sometimes if you have a judgmental spirit, or if you're a very legalist, you're not very good at this. Everything you do is your standard, and your standard very often isn't even about grace. You're like in the Old Testament or something. I don't like being around negative, critical people. Something's always wrong. This was... Man, it's just miserable being around those people, and they're miserable, but you want to be a graceful person, and you want to restore that individual. Now, with this haughty attitude like, well, I'm better than they are. You do that, and we're ready to fall. So, guys, we're here to restore one another. But again, understand who can only restore somebody. Somebody that's spiritual. Now, why is that? That goes back to the book of Matthew that says this. If I have this huge log in my eye, I can't help you get your twig out. I got to get my log out first. Then I can go, well, that ain't too bad at all. Let's just keep right on moving. So again, the person with a log in their eye isn't spiritual. It's a carnal person, always looking for something else wrong. So those of us that are spiritual, when God helps us, we're able to help these people. What these people need is a word of encouragement. Now, where is that word of encouragement going to come? Here's a great verse I found today. I love it in the New Living Translation. Isaiah 50 verse 4, the sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. That is a powerful verse. Where's the word of encouragement going to come? It's going to come from God. He's going to give me a word that I can encourage that person that's fallen, either in sin or not in sin, discouraged, weak, and whatever. He will give me that word. And I can say to them, I have this word from the Lord for you. It's a word of encouragement. When I was counseling today, early this morning, I knew the situation I was going to counsel about And I just said, God, I need your help. And God just put a verse, a passage of scripture in my mind. And when the individual walked in the office, it was like God speaking to them. It wasn't me. He gave me the word. By the way, the word of encouragement will come from here. It will be something that will speak to their heart. See, the word of God is alive. And it goes right to the heart of that individual. I just want to encourage you that this writer, if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16, I want to encourage you tonight this. The writer of the Hebrews has a pastor's heart. He's a shepherd. He's looking at this little church, and he's like a shepherd that goes after a baby sheep that seems to have gotten caught in a thicket or fallen down, hurt its leg. He's going to have to restore that. In this church, our leaders have shepherds' hearts. That's why we're here. We're just like you. We fall and we need each other to to kind of lift us up and encourage us just like you. But we do have shepherds' hearts. That's what this writer was like. Actually, Moses, we see so often, will have that same shepherd's heart. He will step in. And he will say, God, just put it on me. Do whatever. Paul would say that. God, just put everything that the Jews are doing bad, say the Jews, get rid of me. Paul had a shepherd's heart. You have shepherds here. So we have to run together and we have to hang tough together sometimes. We just do. That's the way life is. Now, remember, our ultimate goal is to finish well. And the person we keep our eyes on is Jesus. And sometimes we forget this. Jesus needed to be encouraged. What he was doing was very hard. In Matthew 16, go down to verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Look what happens right after that. Chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like sun, and clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before him, who? Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. You know one of the things I think they were doing? Encouraging Jesus. He knew what was in front of him. And God used this time, if the perfect son of God had to endure suffering, to learn obedience, and then be encouraged to do that. Remember, he asked if there was another way out. But there wasn't, but he submitted to the will of God because he knew he had a godly, loving father. If Jesus, God's perfect son, needed to be encouraged because of the path in front of him was difficult, how in the world do you and I think we're going to get through the end of this race without needing encouragement? I need it. You need it. From time to time, we all get discouraged. What's the greatest keys and encouragement? There are two. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 10.25. Let's not give up meeting together or some of the habit of doing, let's encourage one another. And the more as you see the day approaching. What is the greatest way to encourage one another? Jesus. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray, and what? Not Lose heart. How do I not lose heart? I pray. God help me keep my eyes on you. I focus on you, gaze on you, glance at the problem. Next verse, Romans 12:12. 12, 12. Paul says, Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. That's what's going to encourage me. That's what's going to keep me back in the race.
0: Today, Pastor Mark began his teaching with the story of God's miraculous working in the Apostle Paul's life. One of the important things Pastor Mark brought to your attention was that Paul had friends around him at this low point of Paul's life. You were reminded that God made people to interact with each other, that your life will be better if you follow God's plans for it. This brings us to the end of Pastor Mark's teaching, God Says, Get Moving. Next time, he'll begin the teaching, Pursue Peace and Enjoy Grace. You'll be continuing the theme of biblical interdependence, the value of finding your place in the body of Christ. You'll learn what being a peacemaker is and how to begin being one yourself. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right.
1: Our eyes have seen and our ears have heard His Word made flesh in a hurting